Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Sometimes you choose to be faithful, you choose to be obedient, but you look around you and it's the wicked that prosper. It's those that go against God's will that seem to be happy and well-off, the ungodly. And sometimes you and I have to wait a long time before our prayers get answered. Well, like in Habakkuk's case, it's when we seek the Lord with our questions that we need to be reminded of who God is and what He is truly capable of. So I encourage you to bring your Bibles each Sunday, and if you turn in your Bibles with me to Habakkuk, you can look for Matthew and start working backwards. It's just a few books back. Habakkuk chapter 1, and we're going to look at the answers to Habakkuk's questions of how long and how come. And he doesn't have only those two questions because when his questions are answered, he, an- he responds with worship, with a song, um, and an important message, I believe, as well for us. So as we begin Habakkuk, we notice that he complains to the Lord about the injustice and the wickedness that he sees, and he's pleading with God to do something about it. He's asking, how long, O Lord? How long do I need to wait before the Lord will listen and save the righteous and judge the wicked? Now, not much is known about Habakkuk other than that he was a prophet. And uh, his prayer in chapter 3 is lyrical. It's dedicated to the director of music. So some commentators infer that perhaps he was a Levite or he was involved in the worship, in national worship. His name could mean one who embraces or one who is embraced. We simply know he's a prophet, and he receives an oracle. And conservative scholarship places his ministry during the reign of King Josiah. Some of you know who I'm talking about. King Josiah was the young king um, who had a lot of reforms during his reign. He introduced some significant changes so that the worship of the nation would return to the Lord, but the spiritual condition of Judah had already become very bad during the reign of his grandfather, Manasseh. And that reign lasted 55 years. So 55 years of an evil king who was leading people astray, and so the foundation of the law uh, in their community had already been uh, torn away. And Manasseh served the Baals, he served the Asherahs, he sacrificed his sons, he practiced witchcraft. It says basically he did much evil in the sight of the Lord. Now Manasseh did repent before his demise, but Judah as a nation had already become so corrupt. And Manasseh's son, that is Josiah's father, Amon, became king after him. He served only for two years before he was assassinated by his servants. And that's why Josiah came to the throne at such a young age. And Habakkuk's ministry was toward the end of the Assyrian dominance of the region. Now, you remember perhaps from last week how the Assyrians had reigned in that region for about 300 years. And no one could have imagined that such a powerhouse would ever be ruined and destroyed. And that's the context then as we look at Habakkuk, who asks the Lord, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received in verse 2, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. 
Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. That's his plea. How long, O Lord, do I have to wait before you'll finally do something about the injustices I see all around? Wrongs, the destruction, the violence, the strife, the conflict, the wickedness. And it seems to him that the Lord isn't listening or else that the Lord simply chooses not to do anything or ignores the injustice. Do you ever wonder if the Lord is listening? Do you ever wonder if he's simply choosing not to do something on your behalf? Well, the Lord does respond. And his response is essentially this. My judgment is on its way. Verse 5 through 11, the Lord responds to, to Habakkuk. He breaks his silence and responds, my judgment is on its way. And the Lord assures Habakkuk that it's going to be the Babylonians who are his response for judgment for all of the sins that the people of Judah have committed. It will happen soon, he says, in your day. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. Of course, it would have been an amazing surprise. How would the Babylonians be able to defeat the Assyrians? How would it be the Babylonians that would come and bring judgment upon Israel? And the judgment would be very severe because the Babylonians are ruthless, they're fierce, they're dreaded, and they're swift. And while that answer may be satisfying, it certainly raises some more questions from Habakkuk. Because if the Babylonians are so fierce, so violent, so ungodly, or as he says, guilty men whose own strength is their God, then isn't God giving the victory still to the wicked and to evil people? See, he's got his question answered, I'm going to bring judgment through the Babylonians. Okay, but if it's through the Babylonians, how come you would use evil people and give them the victory. Why would evil prosper over your own people? So he asks, how come, O Lord? In verse 12, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? How come, O Lord, you're going to use the even more wicked to execute your judgment? And notice, too, that he acknowledges that God's people are not going to perish. They're being punished. They're being purified. They're not being destroyed. But you can understand his question, can't you? And then the Lord answers in verse 2. Essentially, he says, wait for my judgment because all who do evil will regret their actions. And that's basically everything from verse 2 to 20 of chapter 2. First, he makes it clear that there is an appointed time. And although the righteous must wait for judgment to come, he says it will certainly come and will not delay any longer. And so, while the righteous must live by faith, the Lord says that those who are proud and greedy, they will never be satisfied. And there are five woes here. Woe to those who have extorted and victimized. They will be plundered. Woe to those who have built their kingdoms by unjust gain. Their own house will come to ruin. Woe to those who have shed blood. Their efforts will come to nothing. And woe to those who fill themselves to drunkenness. They will be filled with shame. And woe to those who serve and worship idols. 
their gods will never be able to save them. And meanwhile, at the end of verse 20, he says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Sometimes we simply need to remember, friends, that when God remains silent, it does not mean he's distracted or disinterested or somehow disabled and limited from coming to save. You know, you and I, when people ask us things, sometimes we neglect to respond because either distraction or disinterest or we're limited, we're disabled. You know, when my wife speaks to me and asks me a question, sometimes my mind is really somewhere else and I'm processing a thought and I, so I hear from the side of me that uh, this, this question coming and I register that a question has been asked and the time that it takes for me to finish that thought and then think through this question that just is just long enough before my wife has to ask me again, did you hear me? Did you, you know, he didn't respond. And that's because I'm distracted maybe, right? Um, because I have a tendency to be limited in how many things I can think of at once. Anyone else have that issue? Oh yeah, there, I see some hands coming up, yes. Thank you, I see that hand. But you know what it's like, you hear the, the question, but before you've had time to attend to it, there's the question again. And so if I'm pondering something, my mind has to register it, but I can't attend to it just yet. And so that's my limitation. And sometimes when my wife asks me to do something around the house or the garden, she has to ask me more than once. Any of you wives have to ask your husbands to do something more than once? Yeah, maybe it's because it's not as high of a priority for me. It's important to her, but it's not as important to her, uh, to me, I mean. Maybe it's because it's something I'm really not interested in doing. Or maybe I'm just procrastinating because, you know, problems and tasks go away after time, right? So even if I'm not distracted, I'm fully attentive. I know what she's asked me to do. I'm just not interested. Or someone who's contacted you, either work-related or a friend who says, let's go do something, let's go lift weights together, or let's do this project together. Hey, let's go visit this castle together. And you don't really want to go because you're just not that into that. And so you hope that maybe they won't ask again. Well, then they ask again. And now what do you do? Right? It's simply a disinterest. Sometimes you may be fully attentive and very much interested but nevertheless rather helpless to do anything about it because we are limited. Someone asks for your assistance with a move. You want to help, but just last week you tweaked your back and so you can't help with that just now, right? Or maybe you're already busy that weekend or whatever it may be. We know there's a war going on in Syria. We know something should be done about it, but what can we do about it? that's actually going to be significantly helpful. Or there's a family in need, they have an unexpected medical bill, you want to help, but you're already so tight and limited on your funds, you don't have anything to offer to them of help. So we recognize that we are limited, and for some reason, we tend to project that onto God. As though when He is silent and not responding to our prayer or our question, as though He is distracted or disinterested or disabled. 
Remember that if God is letting the wicked prosper, although we might suspect that our needs are too small for him to focus any attention on, remember that the Lord feeds the sparrows and clothes the grass with splendor that even Solomon can't match. That for the Lord, the hungry or the hurt or those in need never escape his attention. Neither do the evildoers escape God's attention, along with all those who commit crimes in the dark behind closed doors or in brothels. Psalm 139, verse 12, David says, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. The Lord is attentive to everyone's questions and concerns and hurts. Psalm 121, verse 1 through 4, the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Is God distracted? Is he not paying attention? No, I say. Well, maybe he's disinterested. Well, if God is not responding to our request to ease our pain or to resolve our problem or to calm the storm that's around us, maybe we'll suspect he knows the situation, but he just doesn't care enough. Well, let's remember that the Lord is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep by name. He knows the very hairs on your head and numbers them. He is not just a hired hand tending the flock who cares nothing for the sheep and abandons them when the wolf comes to attack. No, the Lord is a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And he has personally experienced the pain we bear in his own flesh as the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what it's like to feel abandoned. He understands what it's like to see evil triumph over good. And that's why we're encouraged to cast all our anxiety upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And sometimes you and I simply be needed, need to re- be reminded of that in the midst of our question. Our question is of how long, O Lord, and how come, O Lord? We're reminded that we're not bought with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. God's only begotten and well-pleasing Son was sacrificed for us. That's how much He cares for you and for me. And so sometimes it's just helpful to be reminded that even though God has so many children, each one is precious to Him. And we certainly know that God is not disabled. If God has been paying attention and He cares, there's some other reason He isn't doing anything about it, because it's not because He can't do it. We need to remember that the Lord spoke the universe into being. He can provide bread from heaven to feed an entire nation in the desert, and He can turn water into wine, and it says in the Scriptures, nothing is impossible with God. I love how the strength of the Lord is, demonst- is, is uh, a word picture in the Old Testament for His strength, is His arm, that His arm is never too short, and that with His outstretched arm, that's when He expresses His strength. Ezekiel was assured, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh. Hezekiah reminded his people that the arm of the king of Assyria with all the horde that is with them is but an arm of flesh. But with us, the 
is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So when God chooses to hold back his strong arm, there is a deliberate reason for it. And he waits for the right time to stretch out his arm in power and to do something with decisive action. And so while God's silence may cause us to wonder if God is disregarding us, we have to continue to believe he's neither distracted nor disinterested nor disabled. And like he made it clear to Habakkuk, many woes shall come upon those who do evil. Justice will come. And like he reminded Habakkuk that the righteous will need to continue to live by faith, to trust him. And we have to believe in everything that God has instructed and promised to us who will be faithful and obedient even when we're discouraged, even when it seems that evil is prospering and the righteous are outnumbered. And so Habakkuk, upon the realization of God's answers to him, says this wonderful prayer in chapter 3. He reflects on the greatness of the glory of God. So first he asks, how long, O Lord? And then he says, how come, O Lord? And then he says, how great is the Lord? He remembers the greatness and glory of God and longs for it to be demonstrated with power again. He says in verse 2 of chapter 3, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And Habakkuk would have heard of the Lord's fame through the law and the prophets that had been preserved in his day. Remember, the book of the law was discovered while Josiah was king. And the collection of psalms would have been regularly used by the temple priests and the Levites. And there were other prophets who ministered alongside the same time as Habakkuk did. And Habakkuk knows what great things the Lord is capable of because he believes that the Lord is the God of heaven and earth. So he prays, do those great things again. Do it now. Do it in our day while we can witness it ourselves. And be gracious to us even though we deserve your wrath. And he speaks of God's splendor like the sunrise. His power over the Egyptians revealed through the plagues and the pestilences. His presence that can shake the mountains. His arm that can make the nations tremble. And the heavenly bodies, they stand still at his command. The powerful armies are easily crushed and the Lord will deliver his people, his anointed one. And so he ends this song in a beautiful uh, passage in verse 16. Let's, Let's read that. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior." The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And it closes with, for the director of music, on my stringed instruments. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And as you ask those questions of the Lord, how long, O Lord? Hear the Lord's answer just a little bit longer. The circumstances may seem desperate, but let us remember that God is still sovereign. God was doing some things that were still unseen to Habakkuk. You know, the Babylonians didn't rise to power just overnight. 
not even just over days. God was raising them up over time. And God was giving opportunity for the kings of Israel and Judah to heed their warnings that what they were doing was violating their covenant with him and they still had time to repent. And Habakkuk may have been waiting for what seems to him a long time, but he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. He was assuring Habakkuk he's doing something about the injustices. So when Habakkuk was wondering, how long must I wait? Why don't you judge these people? He says, severe judgment will soon come. So severe that Habakkuk is left trembling and wondering. Be careful what you pray for. If you're asking the Lord to bring justice, it may be quite severe. I think sometimes if the Lord showed us what our requests would look like if he granted them as we asked, maybe we'd want to take it back. God was reminding him that he is a just God and he will give each evildoer what they deserve in judgment. And if he were to reveal what he will do, our ears would probably tingle and our knees would probably tremble, just like Habakkuk says as well. My heart pounded, my lips quivered, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Remember the great things that God has done throughout the course of history. Remember God's judgment upon the world left only one family standing, the family of Noah. And that no earthly army could ever withstand the power of the heavenly hosts. Remember that they crucified the Messiah, but not even death could hold him down. He is risen. He is risen indeed. These are the things we remember when we ask these questions. And so when we ask, how long must I bear this pain? The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. And when we ask, how long must I wait? He says, wait a little longer because my work extends over decades and centuries. And when we ask, how come cancer? How come now? He says, your faith needs to grow and I will show my strength in your weakness. And when we ask, how come you don't do anything about evil? He says, just wait, I will. And friends, judgment will come. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you will have to face the judgment for your sins, then your consequences will catch up with you. And an eternity away from God is the consequence, death is the consequence of all of our sins. But Jesus Christ, because he died for our sins, because he hung there on the cross and because his blood can wash us of our sins, if you receive him by faith, then the scriptures say that you will not face the judgment because you have already been transferred from death to life. That's why Jesus came, and that's the assurance we have, and that's why it says that the righteous will live by faith. So Habakkuk had his questions answered, and it drove him to awe and praise, and I hope that when we ask God's question, those questions, it drives us to awe and praise. When God is silent, remember he's still sovereign. And so what is the toughest question that's asked of moms? The number one most difficult question that moms get asked, according to this survey, is why is water wet? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow, we recognize that you know the answers to all of these questions. You know what a shadow is made of, and you know why water is wet. And you know where the sky ends. Lord, you know all things. You know even our minds. And you also know the state of our sinfulness when we haven't confessed it to you. 
And Lord, our prayer is simply that we acknowledge again your sovereignty, especially in those moments when we must wait for an answer, especially when we're wondering why evil prospers. Help us to understand, Lord, that you will judge evil, and you will judge evil in us too. And I pray that each one of us have already received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior so that we can escape that judgment. And as we continue to live by faith, Lord, we long for that day when all of these questions will be answered, when we will see you clearly, and we will live forever with you in eternity. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.